This is Recruiting Daily's Recruiting Live podcast, where we look at the strategies behind the world's best talent acquisition teams. We talk recruiting, sourcing, and talent acquisition. Each week, we take one overcomplicated topic and break it down so that your three-year-old can understand it. Make sense? Are you ready to take your game to the next level? You're at the right spot. You're now entering the mind of a hustler. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup, and you're listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Today, we have Danny on from Pathways, and our topic that we're going to explore today is everything you, we know about empathy is wrong. So this is just going to be fun. Can't wait to get into it with Danny. Danny and I were just joking. We we talked to each other about a decade ago, and we can't remember who introduced who, but uh, both of us have uh names that are uh, easily recognizable so uh danny welcome to the show would you do us a favor and introduce both yourself and pathways yeah um well thanks for having me on the show william sure. it's fantastic to reconnect again um i'm danny gutnecht i'm the author of a book named meaning at work and its hidden language which is a lifelong journey into the intersection of meaning and uh, work. And so I also have a company by the name of Pathways, where we help organizations um, train leaders and uh, recruit and train leaders. So all of the above and and just regular people, everybody's kind of like it's a lead yourself type of training program. I love that. So, okay. So let's start with the book. Why did you decide <laughs> to write a book, A, and what was your process like? Like, what, How did it, were you inspired? Oh, were you forced at gunpoint? Like, what was the bit? Well, my goodness, it was, yes, I was almost forced at gunpoint, um, <laughs> although not quite gunpoint, but it's, I used to write white papers. So when I got into recruiting, one of the things that just drove me nuts was bias. And I was running a recruiting team in the um, mid nineties and recruiters would get off the telephone and it would just constantly be this, um, you know, I would be like the candidate can't just have all of your same goals (laughs) lined up. And so I started to tinker with um, psychological tools, tools that I was interested in for my own self-development, but also tools that I was interested in kind of going out in the marketplace and seeing how they worked in the organization. And I would write white papers about things that I would uncover and problems that I would kind of like get some insight into. And over the years, I kept writing white papers and people would say, you got to write a book or write, got to write a book. And I have a very good friend out of Austin, Texas, Joy Goswami, who said, um, after I published Uh, a paper in 2013 by the name of chemistry, like what's the relationship that we have to work and to the businesses that we, that we, that we work in or the brands that we actually interact with. And he said, you're writing a book and I'm not taking no for an answer. (laughs) And so it took about a, it took about four and a half years for me to pin 161 pages because I really wanted it to, you know, I didn't want to have one of those books where the first couple of chapters makes the point and then you're kind of reiterating it. Uh, so it took some time. Well, first of all, I'm glad you did it. It's uh, well worth it. Are you are you thinking about a second or third book? 
uh, deep in the back of my mind. Um, <laughs> in, the re- is, in the dark recesses in my brain. <laughs> yeah, you know, writing a book is not easy. Oh, I mean, I'm no. sure there are easier books to write, but like you, you, I've, I wrote many chapters and woke up the next day and said, this is awful. Right. <laughs> and rewrote it. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's, it might be a little ways off before I write anything else. Fair enough. So tell us about the meaning and w- the intersection of meaning and work. Tell us what we, what we need to know about the, those inter- that intersection point. Well, it was initially psychology and mm-hmm. a lot of the questions that I was exploring for myself as a human being were, how do you find something that is a lifelong journey that you're just fascinated with and interested in and something that kind of just is worth pursuing regardless of the money? Like what puts your feet on the ground in the morning and wants you to go do it, regardless of where it's at too, regardless of the business. And I, I did a lot of self-exploration, but I would also take things that I'd learn in self-exploration and go, gosh, do these work for other people? And when I found myself in the recruiting world, what a wonderful place for this intersection to happen, right? Because people are, you're, you're talking to people about changing a career, or relocating those types of things. And so deploying these tools with other people and exploring it gives you a lot of data, a lot of information. And, you know, over the 25 years before I wrote the book, um, I, I, I look back now and I'm like, man, I probably amassed due to recorded interviews and exploration. And I probably amassed the largest trove of data in the in the history of work and, and meaning. And so what psychology deals with is really human meaning. It's, it's how we make sense of the world, how we decide to show up in it. It's, it's a little bit less about the heartfelt kind of emotional discharge that we think, although that's part of it, but it's also like, what are you willing to get up and do every day? What are you willing to struggle for? And that's, that's, that's the way I look at meaning. It's interesting because uh, I asked this question of uh, we were talking about the University of Arizona pre-call, and one of the questions I asked because I taught a, uh, a class on stereotypes, um, American Indian stereotypes in particular, but it, the question was about activism. I'm like, what does mm. it what does it take to get you active? And so I'd go around the room, you know, 50 kids in a room. And so I'd, I'd get, you know, basically ask, like, what is it? What is it? What, I mean, if you're going to march, like, what's it going to, what's, what's it going to take to get you off the couch? Or if you're going to write a check, what's, what is it going to take? And what we came to, you know, class by class is it had to touch you. It had to touch mm-hmm. your life. You know, if your mom, you know, unfortunately, if she had breast cancer, you know, you, you got, you got into it. If your dad had prostate cancer, unfortunately, if someone died from a gun uh, injury or something like that, you got active, you know? And so it's like activism was tethered to personal experience in some ways. And again, I don't have any, uh, I don't have any uh, great data around that other than just doing it, you know, just asking students, but it was really interesting because you're, you're coming to some of the same things. It's like, okay, well, you know, discretionary effort. You, you get an email at five o'clock on a Friday. Eh. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you handle it? Do you want to right. handle it? Do you just want to wait till Monday? Like, you know, uh, I think everyone's the, trying to figure that out. Yeah. You know what? That's, it's fascinating that you did that, that research because that's really at the crux of what it is. I mean, we're creatures of habit and patterns 
Um, when it comes to interpreting the world, we think that we do so real consciously, but most of the time it does take some form of trauma uh, to get us to change a pattern or a habit. Um, the good news is, is that you don't have to wait for trauma. You can actually do it, uh, but it, it takes a little bit of effort. It's like starting an exercise regime when you're uh, not in good shape and haven't exercised for 20 years. <laughs> That is fantastic. So let's pivot and talk a little bit about empathy in the sense of you know corporate empathy, if we want to start there. But what do we what do we get right after you know after with your research, your book, everything, and just you've been studying this for 30 years. What do we get right about empathy and what do we just get wrong about empathy? So that's what's fascinating. There's a lot of terms like empathy and, and let's, we'll focus on empathy, but you hear a lot of different terms like empathy and you get a prescriptive sort of approach that, that people leave you with. Here's what empathy is according to the world. And by the way, this is, these are the things that you can do to have more empathy. One of the big insights to me was, um, well, there were a couple. One is empathy is really a a symptom of your system of meaning. Um, and, and think about it this way. When we start our careers, we're told what the idea of success is. Um, I remember when I was working in Dallas and I started in the, in the recruiting world, um, everybody, I went to the, this nice firm that had the shiny ties, you know, shoes and ties and all of that stuff. And I got these uh, shoes, these dress shoes that were, you know, real expensive dress shoes. I won't disparage the brand, but man, you, you wear those for 10 years and you don't realize that, that your, your back is off, your legs hurt. And you don't even realize that it's just the shoes. You just know the shoes aren't comfortable. Right. And, and so it's not until I took kick those shoes off, said that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to explore barefoot. I'm going to explore all sorts of things. And you work all sorts of different muscles. You don't, you don't realize that you're trying to fit into the world's definition of what empathy is or meaning is. And you have to actually have the experience and do the work yourself to understand what it is. And so I, I look at it and say, well, why is it a big topic today? And it's like, well, our organizations have bunions. <laughs> um, we, we have such prescriptive world-defined views of, of what somebody's journey is or, or what empathy is that we forgot that to have empathy in general, you better start with yourself. You better start exploring and be empathetic to your own journey. And if you think about it from, you know, you hear a lot of the Myers-Briggs and thinking and feeling uh, functions that we have, a lot of times our thinking and feeling functions are external. And so we're looking to the world to say, what should I think? What should I feel? Instead of kind of looking inward and go, what do I think? What do I feel? And my answers are good enough. And I've actually got to go on that journey and work those muscles to, to be able to have an understanding of it. So, well, well let, let me uh, just just interrupt real quick because you've, yeah. you've triggered something for me that I love. It's uh, the concept of love, right? You, to love someone else, you have to love yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So it's 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 kind of a universal truth. You got to be able to look in the mirror, 
see yourself for all the warts and you know all the all the things that you've got there you've got to be be able to say i love you in order to say i love you to someone else and you've yeah. just you've just kind of run the parallel uh, a wonderful parallel of, of empathy of, of saying okay you know you 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 also kind of tether it to a journey which i, I love because it also kind of shows that you know the journey's never it's never done it's not like you get to a certain point you're like okay empathy got it check <laughs> well it's it's funny that you say that because when when i started to redevise the interview one of the things that we started to do is record the interviews and i would get it, you know, my recruiters and myself i'd do it myself to to start with day one breath one where were you born where did you grow up what interests did you have and so we 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 figured you know what a lot of people know how to interview to skills and titles and money that's all good but what nobody's really interviewing to is is motives why did you do what you did why did you take the next role and what was fascinating about it for you and what were you trying to fulfill within and by recording that if you go back and listen now you start to kind of gain an empathy for the human journey in general, right? You do that 20,000 times and listen to 20,000 journeys even and, and your own, and you start to get real empathetic and go, hey, man, there's just a whole bunch of people. It doesn't matter whether they're in the C-suite or they're on the front line that are, that are just trying to figure things out for themselves and really trying to, to, to find something that energizes them from you know, the feet up and, and wakes them up in the morning and is worth pursuing. And, and if you think about it, it's, it's why when people get towards the end of their life, they reminisce because they want to think that their life meant something. What have you seen with uh, the last, uh, you know, I'd say the last unfortunate years, but maybe, maybe, maybe they're, maybe they're not unfortunate in terms of like the social causes from me too, to love is love, to Black Lives Matter, George Floyd getting murdered, murdered in front of us, uh, all this gun violence, et cetera. Like you, you see these things are societal issues, if you will, some of them deeply rooted in history. How have you seen that kind of transfer over into the world that you work in, in terms of meaning at work and empathy and how we can look at other people's journey? Uh, and to better understand ourselves and better understand them. You, you know, you're touching on something really important. You said a couple of things that, that I think um, that, w- that we're all dealing with right now. And, and one is we're historical creatures and we're historical further back than just ourselves, right? We've, we've been passed down models of behavior and those behavior models have feelings and all sorts of beliefs and things attached to them. And we repeat those without really thinking about them. We don't really kind of think, Hey, what am I really acting out here? Is this me? And, and so what the world's experiencing today that businesses are needing to deal with is the crisis of meaning. If you're a business or, or if you're somebody that is, you know, marching or whatever, you're dealing with a crisis of meaning. This is what the lashing out is. This is what the Me Too movement is. It's basically people saying, hey, I'm reassessing my values. Uh, For years, we had these great American values, or even if you're overseas, you had a different set of values for, you know, free capitalistic countries, and they've been evolving. Well, then we get the internet, and we can see that lots of people live lots of different ways that you can start to choose different life paths, different career paths, and that 
nobody's really right. There is no capital T truth for somebody's journey. So that comes down to what is meaning. It's, it's, it's the truth test is just subjectively what's true for me, right? As long as I'm abiding by the laws and I can uh, pay my bills and, um, you know, get along well, it's in a free society. It's, it's, I get to choose. And so what people are doing is, is there is, is they, they have this allure of authority. They want to outsource meaning to some authority figure, um, whether it be one of the gurus that we see pop up constantly on Twitter or, um, you know, uh, ideology or something like that. And we get wrapped up in that instead of actually thinking for ourselves and saying, no, I'll interact with this cause. Um, but it's going to be on my terms and I'm actually going to, I can actually be in a position to steward it better or to be more of a value to it. And that's, what's also happening in business. And with the great resignation, people are just reassessing work doesn't mean the same things. And I'm not going to be told what they mean. And, and we're unconsciously sorting that out. I love that. What what's in is, is, we'll make the assumption there is, um, is there a relationship between, meaning uh, meaning at work and culture at work yeah culture like personality is a result of your system of meaning hmm. okay. so if you if you think about it so for a business if you think about culture you're going to have the best way that i can maybe paint this is let's say that you're working in the finance industry well you've got a certain amount of constraints and regulations and things that make that up but there's also a type of individual that's got an interest in that, right? So people with similar interests align in that industry, and then more might go towards a company. Well, within that company, you've got this the group of individuals, and you've got this big structure called a company that's all at work producing something, doing something for human beings, doing something meaningful. And so that's the, 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 the result that you get, which is culture, which is kind of what um, anthropologists and people study and look at is just the result of what those underlying architects, that meaning architecture is. It's the same thing internally with me. If my personality is a result of the things, my, my system of meaning. So the things that I value and the things that I, I did, the, the behaviors and the things that I decide to wake up and do my personality is going to be representative of a lot of that. It's interesting that you, you as you refer to it as system of meaning and, and solving for that, like algebra, solving it for yourself and then helping and understanding how other people are solving it and looking at empathy and, and through that lens. Uh, I, I love all of that. You also touched on something with the pandemic about how people are reevaluating and also kind of a, a, this return to office uh, concept. I wanted to get your take on kind of, um, is that a crisis of, of leaders that look back at 2019? Because I've heard it, I've heard it positioned two ways. So I'll give you two, two examples. It's a crisis in the sense that leaders want to be able to see people work in order to know that they're working. So it's kind of a, the kind of a, an extension of the old command and control manufacturing environment, World War II, you know, this, this idea, usually white men that want to be able to see people work in order to know that they're working. And to somehow 2019, it was glorious. And so we should go right back to that. Okay. So there's that one, that's one line of thought. Another line of thought 
is that this is where soft skills are born mm-hmm. is, you know, m- true mentoring, true collaboration, true creativity actually happens when you're together. Not, now some of it can and does happen virtually, but not really. Mm-hmm. And, and so I've heard it kind of positioned both ways and it's kind of interesting. So what do you, what's your take on kind of this, What's what we learned from the pandemic? So two questions. What we learned from the pandemic as it relates to meaning in a system of meaning uh, for ourselves. And also, what do you think about this return to all, uh, to the office or return to work, you know, circa 19, uh, 2019, et cetera? So prior to the pandemic or what the pandemic did in, in, in my view is it, it, caused an interrupt that was already evolving Mm. in the workforce, um, which was this discontented approach to to work, this reevaluation of work values. What is work to me? How do I I fit it into a life instead of how does my life fit into work? Those were were already conversations that uh, population was having with itself. The, the issue became was it was accelerated, right? I think McKinsey and company said digital adaptation advanced to 10 years in six months. <laughs> um, and, and, and it's a good example of the fact that we are pattern patterned individuals, right? We're just, we're working through and we didn't see what was possible in a work environment prior to the pandemic. Now, post pandemic, obviously there were a lot of, um, environments that were so painful to show up in, and also a lot of people in the workforce that hadn't done their own internal work to know what they wanted in life, that they decided, ooh, I'm never going back there, right? It's just can't do it, bad managers, or I'm not in sync with my journey, whatever that is. And so you get this, you get this rejection of it. Um, there's, there's no substitute for getting together. Um, there's no substitute for, uh, that sort of collaboration that we get when we're working hard on ideas together. However, um, we realize, I think the entire work industry realizes that back to the shoe example, we were walking in shoes that don't fit or that we try to fit everybody in and they're painful and we need to have more conversations. I think what's to me, a good crisis and, and an accelerated crisis, you've got people that fight it all the way. And then you've got a whole bunch of people that say, let's use this and see what we can learn from it. Let's see how we can reroute our energy instead of complaining about it. Let's, let's go do something positive. I don't know what's going to come out of it. Um, Obviously, I don't think anybody does, but I think what we can do is start a different conversation about what do we want work to be and how can we make it better? Drops Mike, walks off stage. Danny, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. This has been absolutely wonderful. I appreciate you. I appreciate it being on the show. I enjoyed it, William. It was nice talking to you again. Absolutely. Let's not wait. Let's not wait so long, long next time. I know. I know. Um, and thanks for everyone listening to Recruiting Daily Podcast. Until next time. You've been listening to the Recruiting Live Podcast by Recruiting Daily. Check out the latest industry podcasts, webinars, articles, and news at recruiting.